We are only four days away now from the event that's going to descend on the Cedic City here in Chattanooga. It's going to be an amazing time. I'm almost like overwhelmed. So many people are going that I know. A lot that I've met in the past year, I've never had a chance to talk to. Some of them are going to be on this show today to give you a big preview of everything that's going on. But there's been some big news stories that have broke since our last show. One of them I had just been talking to Rachel Premack about. If you remember on Wednesday, she was on at noon. We were talking about what's going to happen with Flexport and Convoy. We knew there were a lot of talks about buying the tech stack. Well, that deal did come to fruition. Where there's smoke, there's fire. Flexport has bought Convoy's tech stack. Uh, Flexport CEO Ryan Peterson, he wrote in a memo. He says, we've acquired Convoy's technology stack and are planning to retain a small group of team members from their core product and engineering team. We are not acquiring Convoy, the company, or any of its liabilities, and our expenses will be limited to what's necessary to maintain that tech, you know what's interesting too? So they say employees here, and if you saw that awful transport topics article, it was like they, the reading comprehension is so low, they thought employees were buying the tech themselves. No, it was Flexport. But the one report says that Dan Lewis may be joining Flexport too. It should be really interesting. Creative Minds coming over there. In honor, I wore my favorite Convoy jersey. Dan sent this to me personally a couple of years ago. They used to do this thing called Moonshot over there, and they would design, they would get all their creative people together and design stuff, and they made uh, the Three Wolves. Barking at the Convoy logo. So amazing to see them live on. I hope that all works out. You know, my take on that, what I said to Rachel was when I worked for Global Forwarders who specialized in compliance and moving boxes, especially Vandegrift, especially A.N. Derringer, especially Ocean Air, we were really good at the compliance side. We were really good at moving boxes. We were really good at air freight, but where we were really weak was in domestic truckload. Now, when you look at what Flexport's done recently, they did partner with Convoy a couple years ago. They recently brought in Uber Freight's Bill Drieger to shore up their trucking side. And now to bring in some of the Convoy team and the Convoy tech, I think it's pretty exciting to see what they'll do with that next. Another big story, and this one's kind of this one's kind of stupid, but it obviously went viral. Some truck driver, he decided to take his truck down to TQL. He parks it in front of their HQ, and it says, TQL, pay me my $8,000. Now, when this story first came out on Wednesday that this had happened, the driver, a guy named Gabriel, he put it out, and he said he had this story that TQL hadn't paid him for over 120 days. Uh, he was trying to get an attorney to get his $8,000 back. It was going to cost him $2,500, and he was just fed up, and he couldn't get any communication and bring it there. And it's like, wow, you know, he's like the CM Punk of Frey dropping the pipe bomb on here. TQL doesn't have the greatest reputation on earth. It seems believable. But here's the thing. Then this guy went on two podcasts uh, that were hosted by Matt Dahl and Alex Bex, and you got to hear his side of the story. And here's where he kind of lost me. He said that not only was he in communication with TQL before he brought that truck over there, but TQL had, in fact, paid his factoring company on October 26th. Now, he said, oh, I couldn't get the information from my factoring company. I didn't know. However, now he's doing the interviews after the fact, after he already knows this, he's still completely indignant, even though in my mind, he's kind of in the wrong here. You're, you are, you were paid by the company. It was resolved and you were the one who escalated the situation. Look, 
there's no love lost between TQL and Freightways. I have nothing against them, but you know, like it's not like we are buddy buddy companies or anything, but this is just the situation as we see it up there. Tyler Hodges says the truckers bagging on TQL are wasting their time. If they're that bad and you don't like them, don't haul their freight. It's that simple. Now, this brings me back to this gentleman over here. This isn't his first instance, right? This isn't like a one-off. It isn't like everything boiled up and he got so fed up he had to go down to TQL. Prior to this, he'd gone down to Coyote and done the same thing. He also, even though he was kind of wrong in this one and was paid before he went over there, he is still planning on doing this to another broker who he says owes him $2,500. He wants to put the trailers out there. I mean, good luck to the guy. If this is your your outlet for con conflict resolution, I don't know what to tell you. Um, I would not recommend this to other drivers. I don't think this is really going to play well, especially when you hear the other side of this driver's story. Look, there's probably legitimate claims in court. They've even found legitimate claims against TQL and how they classify employees. There's issues with TQL, but is bringing your truck trailer there and making it highly social on social media the best way? Well, we'll see how it plays out for the guy. I don't know. In other news, and it's all bad stuff until I get to Tyler. I'm so sorry, Tyler. Uh, Reuters reports shipping group AP Moeller Maersk. Yeah, Maersk is cutting 10,000 jobs. AP Moeller Maersk is cutting 10,000 jobs in the face of overcapacity, rising costs, and weaker prices. Maersk, they control one-sixth of global container trade. So this is a bellwether. This is a telltale sign of what's going on in the economy. You can look at all the reports that you want, but here in freight, we see what's coming and going into the economy. And the lifeblood. And right now, it's not pumping very hard. In fact, their CEO, Vincent Clerk, he says the new normal we are now headed into is one of more subdued macroeconomic outlook. And thus, soft volume demands for the coming years, prices back in line with historic levels, inflationary pressures on our cost base, especially from energy costs, and increased geopolitical uncertainty. Cyrex says this is not a diet. This is the rest of the baseline. Matt Silver, he says, MERS targeting 10,000 job cuts as container rates continue to drop is not a good sign for anyone in ocean freight forwarding. It's a commoditized business, and a lot of companies are dealing with the same headwinds. The CEO is quoted saying, this is not a diet. This is a reset of the baseline. Everyone is going through their reset right now, but freight is getting hit particularly hard. No peak season this year. Next year is in for a tough ride. We'll see who's left when we get to 2025. It is getting pretty serious out, out here. It is. Rachel Premack I don't mean to pour on this anymore, but she says their net income for the ocean carrier declined 94% in Q3-23 from Q2-22. If you thought Siege Robinson's operating income being down 60% was bad, look at this. Speaking of Rachel Purimack, another headline on FreightWaves.com is increased consumer demand not spending not spending enough to end the trucking bloodbath. You know this is a story of many multitudes. One of them is the severe amount of capacity. It's so deep, the amount of capacity. I show you those authorities all the time that 35,000 new trucking companies have shut down in the first 12 months ending September 30th. And it still hasn't really made a dent in rates at all. All those articles you can find on FreightWaves.com. Get into them. But we're going to get into today's show. Speaking of, can you wind my clock, guys? Thanks. On today's episode of What the Truck, I'm talking to Diesel Laptop CEO Tyler Robinson about the diesel technician shortage. According to TechForce Foundation, we're going to need to replace 163,000 positions by 2030. We'll learn how Diesel Laptops is working to close that employment gap with their new training center, which looks pretty hot. Drone Express, they're fresh off delivering pizza for Papa John's, and they have a new round of funding. Their CEO, Beth Flippo, she's here to tell us the latest in drone delivery and when it's going to take off. There's some challenges in this space. How are they getting over them? 
One Rails, Jay Silva. He's packing his bags for F3. He's going to be in town. I don't know if you know him. He's a great ambassador. If you see Jay on the floor, you best go say hi to him. We're going to find out what One Rail has planned for the event, how to develop partnerships at a conference, and how they think holiday shipping's going to go. Spoiler, I don't know if they're going to think it's going to go that well. We'll find out. Talent, Sarver, Talent Solvers, KJ McMasters is here as well. He's the king of recruiting. We're going to find out what this market holds for prospects. We've been hearing about so many layoffs here. So a lot of you probably are contacting recruiters and, and you want to know. It doesn't seem like that long ago that it was like the great resignation. That's the old, old days. We're not in that normal anymore. Also, Flexport buys Convoy. We said that already. Um, detail, pizza inflation, how truck stops are planned, and more. So let's tip the band, and then we'll get over to Tyler. Truxit is revolutionizing the trucking brokerage in industry. Truxit increases carrier pay while reducing shipping costs. Truxit pays carriers in two days or less. Truxit reduces deadhead and empty miles. Truxit provides paperless BOL, POD, and payment. Ship for less and drive for more with Truxit.com. But right now, Tyler Robertson, CEO at Diesel laptops, and I love the uh, the backdrop you got going on, Tyler. Well, thank you. It's our podcast booth here too. And by the way, I'm also looking forward to the Formula F1 racing coming on here pretty soon too. So I'll be watching that. Oh yeah, it's good. Well, it's going to be fantastic. And sorry to depress you with uh, so many of those lead-in stories. It's just kind of it's kind of the way of the world right now in this market. But you know what? I, I, there may be overcapacity, but there's a shortage in diesel tech technicians now might be a good time to jump into a field like that as i said in the lead-in it's only going to grow by 2030 i can't wait to get into it but before we do introduce yourself what's cool at diesel laptops yeah i'm the ceo and founder of diesel laptops and what our company does is we help people be more efficient at fixing diesel powered equipment both on highway and off highway so it's a big big marketplace that's out there people don't realize how much diesel actually occurs behind the scenes with farm tractors earth moving equipment generators things that build buildings, all of those things. So we do that through diagnostic tools, through training. We have a call center staff with remote diesel technicians to assist people. And we have parts and repair information. So we're kind of more of a solution to fleets and to repair facilities across the United States and North America to allow their technicians just to be better at their jobs. And it's a, it's a big problem that's been brewing out there for a while. You know, Tyler, I've, I've had the uh, fortune of knowing you for the past four years and following the diesel laptop story and seeing you laying bricks and seeing it grow. And, and before we even get into stuff, I just want to congratulate you. You've done such an amazing job. You've fought. I mean, 2019, if you think about it, you've you've had to go through every different type of market imaginable. So to be here, I think you're going to be around in 2025. You've shown a ton of strength. This diesel tech shortage, it's come up a lot. A lot of drivers have talked to me about it. I've read some of the studies and the stats, but set the table for us. What is the scope of this diesel tech shortage? How is it impacting people? So right now, there's about a quarter million diesel technicians employed in the United States. If you go on Indeed and just type in diesel mechanic or diesel technician, you'll find there's over 40,000 open job positions for diesel technicians. And that's just the that's just Indeed. And that's strictly just um, the number of ads. A lot of the ads are asking for multiple people that are then you get hired to fill these roles. So the real number of the shortage is probably more in that 60 to 80,000 range. If you look back pre-COVID, that number is pretty consistent at about 15,000 open jobs that were being listed. So the problems got exponentially worse over the last several years. And it's causing a problem everywhere. So in the meantime, trucks have become more complicated. There's more after-treatment systems. There's robots driving trucks. There's advanced driver assist systems. Trucks are getting more complicated. More government regulations coming down the pipeline to make trucks more complicated. And what that all involves is there's no continuing education for diesel technicians. So what ends up happening is problems that should only take 
an hour to diagnose are taking multiple hours or days and people are throwing parts at the problem and not really understanding how to solve the root cause of the issue that's going on. And it's just, it's making this problem worse and worse and worse. So for diesel laptops, we're all in trying to help people uh, be more aware of the industry. We have a podcast with Melissa, the diesel queen. She talks to a lot of people in their 20s, uh, a lot of people that are trying to find careers. These are This is a great career. You can make $100,000 a year being a diesel technician if you have any skill whatsoever. It's a great profession to go in. You can literally get a job anywhere and never worry about working again in your life. So there's a lot of reasons to go into it. And we're trying to raise awareness. We're trying to do continuing education. And we're trying to make technicians more efficient at their jobs. So if we can take those quarter million diesel technicians out there and make them 10% more efficient at their jobs so that repair and diagnostic process and repair process, that's like creating 25,000 more jobs. So it's a big problem that's still going to get worse and worse. So as all those drivers are out there waiting for their truck to be repaired, wondering why they're backed up a week or two, um, a lot of it is because people just cannot get diesel technicians. And the ones that are there, they're just lacking a lot of their information, tools, and resources to be effective at fixing that commercial truck that's broke down. Do you think it's because I mean, two things. There's, I mean, historically large push to go to, you know, four-year university, get a college. But also I think that sort of the common perception, especially in like the 2020s, maybe amongst young people, is that, I mean, why would I be a diesel tech? All trucks are going to be autonomous. All trucks are going to be EVs in the future. This seems like a dead-end career. Um, we up here know that it's not. We know that diesel trucks will be running for a long, long time. But is that part of the problem? So I'm going to go against the grain with what the rest of the industry says here, because they've been saying it wrong for the last two decades. And the whole solution that our industry has talked about is, well, let's go convince the high school kids to go be a diesel technician. You know what? You're not going to go convince some eight, some 17 year old that's been talking about college from his parents for his whole life to be a diesel technician in a one hour career fair. It just it just ain't happening. It's ridiculous to even think that. Our industry's tried other just silly ideas, in my opinion, such as let's make a video game about how to fix trucks. Surely if people play video games, they'll be interested in fixing trucks. That that didn't work either. Um, and now they're talking about going to the grade school level and convincing them at that level. And that's not going to work either. So it's really unfortunate that our industry has not had a lot of good solutions to the problem. And they keep beating the same drum over and over again. And it's time to look at it from a new angle and a new way. And I, I really hope the industry starts to, to gravitate that way. And I see it, it's creating opportunity for companies. So for example, there's a company out there called ADTC. They said, look, we're not gonna get two-year degrees, uh, diesel technicians and put them through a program, but we're gonna make them go through a 12-week boot camp. And they're gonna come out and they're gonna go do oil changes and basic things and change brakes and check lights. But now they can go get trained up at a fleet, at a repair shop, go through continuing education, and they'll become diesel technicians. And that program is wildly successful. And you're seeing starting to see community colleges and technical colleges do the same thing. They're not offering only the two-year degree, but a shorter degree. And by the way, the reason there is only a two-year degree is that's the only way to get student loan funding. You can't get a student loan funding for only a 12-week program or a one-year program. You have to have money to do those things. So this all comes down to a money problem for a lot of people. And there are a ton of people out there that have great stories about going through these boot camps and going from these $15-an-hour jobs to jobs that are making $60,000, $70,000 a year a couple years later because they put through the effort and time. So there are solutions that are coming in the marketplace. It's like anything else. When there's problems, capitalism rules, there's an opportunity that's created for a bunch of people out there, including companies like these laptops. So what's your solution? What have you guys been working on? I, I, we've seen a couple of pictures of that training center so far. 
Yeah, that's our new training center. We just launched down here in Columbia, South Carolina, where our headquarters are. We also have facilities in Dallas and Chicago. And for us, it's a multi-prong approach. So one of the prongs here is continued education. So what I think the general people don't realize is as new technology comes out on commercial trucks, after treatment systems, ADAS systems, most of those quarter million diesel technicians don't have access to any of the training. It's really hard to go enroll in an OEM program. There are very few seats. They're really expensive. They don't allow everyone in. And everyone's just left to figure it out. And it, it creates all these problems. So what we figured out here at Diesel Laptops is selling someone a $10,000 professional level diagnostic tool doesn't mean they can fix anything any better than they could the day before because they're lacking the retraining and the information to do it. So our classes that we do are only about 5% software and they're 95% real skills. You don't even need to have our software to go to these classes. You don't need our software to diagnose a truck properly. But people just don't know how to properly find the root cause. It's like going to the doctor and they treat you for the cough. They don't treat you for why the cough is occurring. And that's really what happens on most repairs on commercial trucks when it comes to EGR issues, emission issues, after treatment issues, anything that goes on. Um, it, so it's really frustrating. So people go through these courses and they get better at their jobs. And we started with the online, on the, the hands-on stuff. And now we launched our online platform as well. So we're really starting to ramp up here on what we offer to the general public for technician training. Yeah, people who aren't familiar with diesel laptops, uh, Tyler and his team have invested quite a bit on the multimedia and production side as well. That means not just making podcasts to get information out, but they also have made some training videos. We, we have one of them here. Let's take a look at it, and then we'll talk a little bit about it afterwards. Roll the tape. Some after-treatment problems can be caused by upstream issues inside the engine. To test for these upstream issues, we need to do a snap acceleration test. If you like what you see in the video, give us a like. And if you want to see any upcoming videos, make sure to hit the subscribe button. Also, leave us a comment what you think about this snap acceleration test. In order to do this test, we're going to take the exhaust off before the DOC and DPF, and we'll actually examine the exhaust coming out of the tailpipe from the engine. So let's take that off. Once we get this exhaust off, we're going to crank up the truck and we're going to rev the engine up wide open throttle for three to five seconds. So now that you can see, we went ahead and cranked that up, revved the throttle up, wide open throttle, and we saw just a little puff of black smoke. That tells us that our engine is running efficiently and we don't have any upstream problems causing our after treatment to have issues. If you liked what you saw in this video, give us a like down below. And if you learned anything and are going to use this cool. test in the future... Tyler, I, I liked it. Is that was a video, but in class too, is it, is it hands-on like that? You're going to have a truck there. You're going to see all these things work through um, with your own hands. Yeah. I mean, I, I own a, a number of commercial trucks and we use them for purely in the training environment for these diesel technicians. So our typical classroom experience, there's eight to 12, eight to 10 students. They come in, it's about half lab, half lecture. And we have the trucks, they're bugged. We have the lab boards. We build custom lab boards ourselves. 
And we put this program together for technicians. And most, most technicians, unfortunately, don't know the right troubleshooting sequence or the right process to go through to properly troubleshoot things. So it's really just, and it's not that they're dumb. I'm not saying that. It's, I'm, what I'm saying is, is they don't have a lot, any opportunity and access to information and training. Once you show them, they're great. They just don't know. So it's a big problem that we're trying to solve here. And basically, it's kind of like we do with diagnostic tools where we're making the information available to everybody. It's the same thing with training. Here's the information available to everybody so you can be more effective and efficient at fixing your fixing your truck. And we do free videos. We do online videos. We do hands-on courses. There's some paid stuff. There, there's things all over the place uh, for students to go out there and learn. And there, a lot of that applies to truck drivers. They can go on there and how to figure out how to do a lot of this stuff themselves just through our YouTube videos. Let's help the curious out, those who are like, you know what? Diesel tech sounds good. Maybe they're, hey, maybe they're in freight sales right now. Maybe they're looking at those margins. Maybe they're looking at their plan. Maybe they know that Q4 is not happening. Maybe they know Q1's not happening. And they know that email's coming to bring in their laptop. And maybe instead of making 50K, they can make 100K plus in a, a position that's on demand. Not a lot of people are running into. How can they get some samples on this so they can understand if they like the videos? And how can they enroll? So training.diesellaptops.com, great place to go to to start. And I'll say this too. A lot of people started as diesel technicians working for someone else. They open their own shop. They're a mobile truck business. They, I, I know plenty of people that started as someone that was just doing oil changes. Now wants multiple locations throughout the United States. It's a story that happens over and over again. There's so much opportunity and so much demand for diesel repair. It's really just how far you want to take it in your career and where you want to go with it. So, but training.diesellaptops.com had their sign up, watch free videos, sign up for the email list, learn more about what we do here at Diesel Laptops. Tyler, thank you so much for your time today. Thanks for putting this program together. It's a great one. You're in good hands with Tyler. Everybody go check it out. Thanks for your thank time. Thank you very Jesse. much. Take care. All right, everybody. Meanwhile. There's literally nothing around this here. This is how like truck stops miles. choose their new locations. I like what I'm seeing. You're telling me this is an actual haunted graveyard? That road has like six foot deep potholes. Okay, that's what we're looking for. This, another truck stop right over there. Absolutely rampant crime in this neighborhood. Perfect. They found a body right here. Pretty good. <laughs> Hi, Beth Flippo, Chief Executive Officer over at Drone Express. Beth, it's great to meet you. Great to meet you too. Where, where are you coming in from? I live in Dayton, Ohio. Oh, you know, so my sister went to Miami of Ohio, but when she was looking at colleges, we also looked at the Dayton Flyers. So I have been not just to Dayton, but I've been on uh, the campus over there as well. Yeah, it's, it's great here. Um, Southwest Ohio is the best kept secret. Sure. You know, you have an interest. I was looking at your bio. How did you go from finance to drones? I actually have an engineering degree. Um, I went to uh, the engineering school at the State University of New York at Binghamton, and I went from there into finance technology, um, actually, but always working on the trading desk on a trading floor. But I always had that calling back. I always wanted to go back into technology. So I'm an embedded software developer. What that means is I build operating systems and you know code for embedded mobile platforms. And it was just natural to go from that into, you know, mobile applications like drones. Were you like already a drone nerd? Did you, you, I know you have a drone license. Did you have one before Drone Express? Were you like a hobbyist? 
I was not. I was actually an RF amateur radio um, person. I was not um, into the drone field. We actually got into it when the mesh network that we developed, uh, a drone company, wanted to use it on their aircraft and told us what a huge help it was that it allowed multiple drones to talk to each other in the sky and talk to multiple pilots on the ground. And we realized, you know, we really had something here. But um, we started as a communications company. That's what they're trying to solve um, with drones. The FAA really wants to stay connected to these aircraft. So other companies come at it from a mechanical perspective. We come at it from a comms perspective. Very, very interesting. So what, what like the company's relatively new, what's the idea behind Drone Express? What makes it different than other drone companies when you were like, I have this idea, I got to do it. What was that like? Well, I have a lot of kids and honestly getting delivery is when you work full time is a, my kids eat a lot of pizza. So I encounter a lot of delivery people often. And it's just something that, you know, has always been lacking. And to see brick and mortar stores closing up for online stores. I mean, the people that work in these stores, these are our neighbors, our friends. And I knew that these local stores, if they could find a way to do delivery cheap, this would be Amazon's Achilles heel. This would be the way for them to stay in business and deliver their goods. And I wanted to be a part of that. I, I, most of the stuff we buy online is actually available right around our homes. We just don't want to go get it. Yeah, well, you mentioned pizza. One of your early partnerships, one from last year, I believe, that you started out with was with Papa John's in Atlanta. You did a pilot with them. How did that come together? How did you land a, a pizza company and how did the pilot go? Well, we actually started with Kroger. Kroger is, the, is our first customer, and um, Papa John's came to us. We originally started in the grocery field because um, Amazon was building drones, and they had just bought Whole Foods. So we thought, you know, grocery is a great place to start. But Papa John's came to us, and, you know, there's a real need. It's, it's, a, very, it's a big struggle for them to find drivers, and delivery is, is their whole life. So they think aut anything autonomous to make delivery faster. They, they were trying to find people to partner with to make that happen. Is that drone we're looking at right now carrying a pizza? It is. How, how is like, so the, my question is like, sometimes you get delivery pizza or even you go yourself and you come back and some of the toppings have shifted. They've moved because you're, how do you like have stability when moving a pizza around so you don't have like all pepperoni on the left? <laughs> Well, the drones are very stable. They don't actually move around like they would in a car. And our drone flies at about 40 miles an hour. So the flights, are, it could be a minute, two minutes. There's not a lot of time in the air. So that's why you don't see them shifting around like you normally would. The flight is actually very stable and very solid. What's, what's easier, groceries or pizza? It's not what's easier, but I think there's more demand for a grocery chain like Kroger that has a lot of different items, not just grocery items. So if you want a pair of scissors right now, you're going to go on Amazon. You're going to wait two days for those scissors to come to you. And it's available within a mile of your home. It's available at grocery stores all over. So there's just more demand in different products 
at, at a grocery store, but we all order pizza. So the delivery demand is definitely there too. You know, it got me curious because I saw a picture of you at a Dayton Dragons game. And I was wondering, is there any place for drones in like concession stand delivery or do the, the blades kind of keep that from being a logical thing? Because now I'm like, yeah, well, the blades might be a problem too. <laughs> well, it's also, there's a lot of regulation around flying over stadiums that prevent that kind of stuff. So um, yeah, not not yet, but maybe someday you'll be able to see um, drones delivering the peanuts and stuff as opposed to somebody chucking them at you. So <laughs> it might be, but it probably won't be one of the first delivery methods. So what did you learn from these initial pilots? What have you picked up in the in the past couple of years of doing this? What works and what doesn't work in drones? Um we haven't found a lot that doesn't work. We we found that a lot of people get around. So we have a weight limit just like anything else. And we have found that a lot of our customers will order multiple times to have the drone come to them to get around that weight limit. And that's something incredible that we learned that like we could send the drone 10 times. It still would not cost as much as sending a person in a car. So we're going to follow a lot of what Amazon is doing and do smaller delivery of items and, and have people multiple times have multiple drones go. So that was the biggest takeaway from, from our learning is that, you know, the future is really small items. We all get them. We all get our Amazon packages with one little thing in it. So you know, we're you fitting into that model. You've mentioned Amazon, and it got me curious because Amazon had their own drone program, right? And they it, it didn't go that well for them. Why is it that like a company like Amazon can't launch drones, but other drone solutions are better positioned to accomplish these goals? Well, Amazon US, their US drone business is is alive and well. Um, they're only going to deliver for Amazon, but really the regulations is something that you just you have to believe in them. We the FAA has. It, helped us build a better aircraft. The FAA has taught us how to operate safely. Drone delivery is going to be just as safe as manned aviation. And a lot of startups and a lot of companies that go into this field, I mean, it takes a lot of money, it takes a lot of time, but there's only gonna be a handful of manufacturers and operators like us, just like there is in manned. There aren't that many companies that make a 747. Um, it's going to be the same way. So that's why you have a lot of companies that just haven't been successful because it is a very long-term dedicated process. What about, so one of the things with like drones and they seem so, they seem so like logical when you look at them and you're like, hey, it can fly over here, it can do over there. But one of the things that that is probably the biggest thorn in your side is a lot of the regulations, right? Where you can land, where you can bring drones in. How do you, how challenging is it to figure out sort of those maps of where you can operate and how much does it limit what the drone industry can do right now? Well, it's a lot of work right now in its infancy, but just like anything else, it's just going to get you know more and more open as you start to do them. That's really all there is to it, is that yes, it's more difficult to define those routes for right now, but eventually it's just going to get better and better. Um, the, when the Wright brothers built their first aircraft, it was 10 years later that the first passenger aircraft was um, created. And you think about that, just in 10 years, where it went from just even learning how to fly and what lift was 
And within 10 years, people were already building a passenger aircraft. And that's what drones are going to be. It's, it's going to be, you know, early in the beginning and what you can do and what you're capable of. But in 10 years, it's going to be like in the movies. The drone's going to fly in really quick, drop it, fly out. And we're never going to remember that truck barreling down our, you know, side streets anymore. Well, a little cab for you and your team. You've raised some funding. What are you going to do with, with your latest round? And, and what's the plan to grow Drone Express outward? Well, a lot of our funding goes to our regulations. We really are very lucky to be uh, one of the groups that has been at the beginning of this for many years. So that is a lot of our funding. We don't spend a lot on marketing, even though my people desperately want to change that. But um, so only people who really know the business know um, about us. And we're hoping to change that and really bring that out so people know there are other players in this space, not just um, the very large drone companies. Um, so that's what we're really looking to do and start operations in, you know, as best as we can. How about autonomy in this space? I, I imagine you, you still need to use a drone operator at, at this stage, right? But I know you have a partnership with Microsoft on AI. AI is such a hot topic. How does AI and drones work together? So it's actually a great case for AI. So once we're able to fly beyond line of sight, so right now our pilots don't actually interact with the aircraft. It's fully autonomous. They're there in case something happens. But one day, we're going to be able to fly over your home and be able to deliver a package to you. Well, the drone is looking down on your house. How does it know where's the safest place to drop that package? So it's going to look down and say, this is a driveway. This is a pool. This is a shed. This right here is the safest place. Nobody's running under it. Um, and the AI, as we feed in images of all these different homes all across America, the AI is learning as we say, this is a safe place, this is a safe place. Um, so we're at about 86% accuracy um, with the Microsoft AI that, that we've been working with them on. And it's just a great case to show like the drone will be smart enough to do this without a person and it'll actually be better. It'll actually choose a safer place than if a person was choosing it on their own because from above, it can look completely different and somebody standing and looking at a house in front. Now, I noticed you were just in Dubai, and it got me curious, which country has the best regulations for drones? Is, is the U.S. middle ground one of the harder places to operate? Are there, are there better places for this technology? Um, so the U.S., the FAA, is the gold standard all over yeah. the world. Um, it comes down to the type certificate that you get of airworthiness on an aircraft. That's why you don't see a lot of aircraft created just, you know, from by anybody that that's really an FAA standard. And um, a lot of the drone laws have followed suit to what the FAA drone laws are. But there are some that are becoming more open that are trying to be more active in, in their approach. But we're hoping to conquer the US market. And that's why we're so focused on these regulations so that we can go anywhere in the world once we're certified. But there are some countries that will allow you to do more. Um, but um, right now, most of our focus is in the US. Are you looking for more partnerships? And if so, you don't have to name the companies, but uh, it, any type of industry that you're targeting? 
Um, we have learned so much. Uh, we have partners that are in construction that have taught us about the needs of delivery of parts. Uh, your previous guest, you think about if a truck is on the side of the road or there's traffic and you can't get a part to it, like drones will be able to be delivering things to you on the side of a highway. Uh, there are so many uses for having drones because it's multidimensional. You don't have to, if you know, cars are all stopped. That that's it. Drones don't, you know, have any of those limitations. So, really, we're we're looking to hear from other people. We we're so impressed with the need out there. Everywhere we go, we hear different things. Um, even just weather conditions. When you have a snowstorm, you're not getting anything the next morning. But drones will be able to fly hot chocolate to you or milk to you or whatever you need because they don't have to worry about what's on the ground. So you're going to see a lot of that. You're going to see people delivering at night, which people don't do now because nobody wants to open the door to somebody who, who they don't know. Drones, you, you don't have any of that concern. So you're going to see a whole market shift of people like me who have needed children's Tylenol in the middle of the night. I'll be able to get it now. And um, that's what we're really looking for is all these people and their ideas about how to use it. You haven't had any issues with anyone trying to like skeet shoot one down or anything like that. Have you? People always say they're like, well, what if people try to like shoot them or throw rocks at them? That is a question I get from everyone is yeah. what if you shoot it down? And I tell them all the same thing. This is a federally registered aircraft. We have a tail number uh, just like a real airplane. And the punishment is the same as if you tried to shoot down a medevac helicopter that wow. was, you know, landing in your neighbor's yard. So I don't think many people want to go to federal prison. Uh, so I'm hoping that it is not, you know, common at all. And it might be one, but I think people will understand, like, this is a very big aircraft and trying to harm it. You're, you're trying to harm people on the ground. So I, I don't think it's going to be a problem. For, you, for you, you have been uh, you've been warned, pranksters. It is a federal offense. Do not attack the drones. Well, hey, people who want to it, it follow is. you and people want to follow you in your journey. They want to see what Beth's up to. They want to see what Drone Express is up to. Where do I send them to? So you can go to our, our web page. We do a lot on social media, uh, on LinkedIn and Facebook and Twitter. And um, you can see all of our operations, what, what we're doing, our videos. We have um, our office here in Dayton in Ohio. We have an office in Denver. Uh, we just opened an office in Madrid uh, to do uh, more international work. And um, yeah, just come to us with your ideas. And we're excited to, to see where this goes. Hey, Beth, thank you so much. It was great to meet you. You have a great weekend. Thank you. You too. Take it easy. All right. Truxit is revolutionizing the truck, the trucking brokerage industry. Truxit increases carrier pay while reducing shipping costs. Truxit pays carriers in two days or less. Truxit reduces deadhead and empty miles. Truxit provides paperless BOL, POD, and payment. Ship for less, drive for more with Truxit.com. That is T-R-A-U-X-I-T.com. Elsewhere, this is uh, the Flying Magazine crossover and what the truck video the world has always needed. That plane's about to get wouldn't happen with a drone. That would have fit under there if that was a drone. Could have used one. No, I could use, though, I could use a little Jay Silva in my life, Vice President of Partnerships of One Rail. I see him right now. What's up, Jay? I like the yeah. vest, man. You got the Freight Tech vest on with the little logo you know, right you here. You gotta have it. You gotta have it. 
How's it you going? Are, you're already in like full conference gear. People will be able to recognize you right away. I stay in conference mode. You stay in conference mode. You, hey, I'm excited to have you at F3. You're um, you're one of those people that when I'm at conferences, you always and you always have this big smile on. You always say hello. You're just a great guy to run into, and it always happens too. And I'm kind of at that point in the day when I'm like, how much freaking longer is this thing gonna go? And then I see Jay, and I'm like, boom, I'm energized. You know, that's that, that's good to hear because you energize me. You know, the feet's hurting. You're ready to go back to the room, maybe take a power nap, but. You know, you kind of push me and, and, and get me to persevere as well. So we kind of feed off each other's energy, I think. Well, I'm sure you're organizing your business cards. You're packing your swag. You're packing your, your best vests to bring with you. What, what's in store for the people at F3 when they run into one rail and they run, and they run into you? What's, what's going down this year? Yeah. Hey, thanks for asking. It's exciting times here at one rail. You know, we have a, a new service offering called one rail now. Uh, so I'll have Adam Warman with me and, uh, and myself, and we'll be boots on the ground. Uh, so we don't have a boot this year, but that's by design. Uh, so don't come looking for us. Uh, we're going to come find you. Uh, and this new uh, product offering is especially for logistics service providers. So they can get excited, right? Because right now we're in a freight recession. There's no getting around that. But uh, what LSPs need to do or logistics service providers need to do is uh, differentiate. So how are you standing out? And so what we're offering them today is a, is a light lift solution uh, that enables them to complete same day deliveries at a much cheaper rate than the traditional LTL. So we are a network of networks uh, connected across the entire country of a thousand carriers, 12 million drivers via the gig economy. Uh, so you can view us as, uh, as one relationship that can open up 12 million options for you. So we're excited to take this to the network and show all the logistics providers how we can uh, help them differentiate and win business in this down recession. Hey, you know, you mentioned the down recession. It's a tough time. And look, a lot of people are going to go to these events. And, you know, in, in, in the halcyon days, when things are great, you can go, you can shake hands, you can leave with a couple of business cards. But when things are bad, companies want ROI. They're sending their reps out to events. They want them to make partnerships. They want them to come back. Uh, trust me, a lot of you might be scrutinized on these kind of things. So you got to come with your game on. How do you go and form partnerships at an event? How do you get the most ROI out of it? How do you make sure that the conversation continues they have on the floor? I've been in sales and I know a lot of times you're around there, you have the conversations, you get the cards and the follow-up just doesn't happen like it should. Man, that's a great, uh, great question, especially when your marketing team's asking for that ROI, right? How do we measure? How do we uh, project what events we need to go to next year, right? Um, ROI can take a long time. It's hard to measure. But forming the relationship at an event's the easy part. You're right. Grab the card, send the follow-up email. But it's what you do when you get back home. How, uh, are we talking to the same types of customers, right? Uh, can we do bi-directional referrals? That's the easiest one leading to mutual mutual benefit or mutual uh, revenue. Or does this partner really enable our sales reps to go out and uh, service our customers better, better <laughs> in a bundled solution? Or, you know, how does this enable our product better? Uh, so many, many things to talk about, I think, coming back. And here's where things change. You know, forming, forming the partnership or, or, or forming the relationship is easy. It's putting the thought and the work before you meet, uh, learning how you're going to work together. You can help steer that conversation. Uh, and how can we make our product uh, enhancements together 
like how do we get better together to offer the market, right? And so uh, it's coming back, preparing for that meeting and, and really nailing it down. I just had a, a great one. I'm here in beautiful Orlando. Uh, we just had one of those partnership meetings, right? So I don't think the actual partnership happens at the event, uh, but you know, collecting, meeting, and making sure you ha- you send that follow up e- email is key to leading to successful partnership. Yeah. Yeah. You want to bring someone home, but you don't, you don't want to be too eager on the floor. People have a lot coming at them. They just, you want to give people a good impression of yourself and your product so they can continue the conversation on with you, uh, with you afterwards. And look, a lot of people here are are there alone. It's very easy to meet people. Just talk and say, hi. In fact, if you download the F3 events app, the guest roster is in that app. You can go through that. If you're sales and you're not doing this, you're not doing your job. You should be going through there. You should be looking at who you think may be a good prospect. And you should be taking that to the next level too. go on LinkedIn, see what these people are talking about. See what they're, especially your key ones, see what they talk about, see what they post about. You have easy icebreakers. We have so much information on social media right now. Use it to your, I just saw you were in Dubai. How was Dubai? I just saw that you guys got a new round of funding. How, you know, I just saw that you, you know, you got a new dog. There's easy information you can use to break ice. Well, one of my favorite, or why Freightways is my favorite event, uh, is because the app makes it so easy, right? It, it, it breaks it down for you. You can form that relationship. You can set up meetings before, but also the opportunities to network outside of the event are endless. Uh, I think Haley jumped on your, your podcast and talked about TI coming. That's exciting. But, uh, you know, maybe Hunt always does a good job of, of, of throwing something together where you can really get outside of the function and build a true meaningful relationship or at least the start of one. Right. Is that what you're most excited for? Is that TI concert? You know, I'll probably be backstage with them for a little bit. So I'm excited to see old TI again. But uh, no, I, I, I'm, I'm ready to launch our new product. That's the most exciting thing to me. So before I let you go, what, 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 what do you think about uh, peak season coming up? Holiday peak season, I mean, holiday retail season is coming up. Um, we don't have much time left in it. Any, any good chance coming in here? You got a good outlook or a bad outlook? No, no, it's, it's great. The, the beautiful thing about uh, OneRail, so I'll, I'll take it personal and then I'll answer, you know, uh, from, from a holistic view. But uh, OneRail, our platform allows us the ability to scale. So our customers, their peak seasons come at different times, and our platform allows us to scale with our partners. Um, we had do um, exceptions management, so we will get in front, and by building those, those great relationships with our customers, we know when their peak season is. We'll leverage historical data so we can do trend analysis to see when their peak seasons are coming and, and prepare for it and scale our teams up and down. Uh, we have a really good squad over there that, that leads that, and so um, that's how we deal with that. But... For preparing for the holidays, our marketing our marketing team has done a phenomenal job putting out some uh, webinars. So if you go to onerail.com, uh, you'll see a uh, a white paper on uh, I think it's called how to prepare or how to build res- resilience in a downward freight market. Uh, we have a white paper that's called preparing for the holidays. So lots of resources that our marketing team has done a good job putting together that shippers, LSPs, and just anybody in general can go and, and uh, learn how to get better prepared for the holidays in this peak season. Now, when I go to these events, I like to rate people's boots. And I don't know if anyone's going to have one of these solutions, but I want you to take, and I know you guys don't have a boot this year, but maybe next year, take a look at this solution from Expandable and tell me how cool you think this thing is. Let's see. Like, check this out. You drop it in with a truck. It's a trailer. 
it's for the audio listeners, it's a trailer that's like a transformer. It moves outwards and it becomes an office. You can put graphics on it. You can put uh, screens up in it. You can do meetings inside of it. That that takes things to a whole new level. Like I thought, you know, uh, I think it was Freyways where, or uh, sorry, Manifest, where they had a put it. Someone had a putting green. And I've oh, yeah. seen people get creative at some of these events, but this takes it to a whole new level. I think that would take the cake for the show. So um, I'm a little jealous, actually. Yeah, Expandables, Expandables, the company that make them, look into it. In the meantime, if you're at F3 in Chattanooga, look on the floor for Jay Silva in his OR vest. In the meantime, you can look him up, Jay Silva, on LinkedIn or, or look up OneRail. Hey, it was great to see you, and I'll see you in a couple days, buddy. Hey, great to see you, man. I can't wait to uh, collaborate, and uh, let's high-five and have some fun. Take it easy, man. All right, you think Thanks we should make... You think we should make this next thing uh, an F3 experience? How do you think you would do in this bed-making competition they have going on over in Asia? I have to do this with a cat, right? So I think I would be pretty good at this one. If they really wanted to make this more difficult, they'd let a cat run under the sheets. You think Jay would be the, uh, the bed setter? I didn't ask him. I don't know if he's the type that makes his bed before he leaves the house. I wasn't until I got married. I was like that picture, you know, that they show like of this is how men live until they find a woman with like a mattress with no box spring, like just in the corner. Uh, TV on milk crates. I live like an animal. I wouldn't I wouldn't make a bed. But I've been married for 10 years now and I've gotten pretty good at it. I don't know. I think we should bring it to F3. All right, let's drop it down. Let's get over to KJ McMaster's founder at Talent Solvers. And KJ, you texted me the other day. You said uh, our good friend, good mutual friend, Jet McCandless, he said you'd be a fool not to come down to F3. And I said, you better and better yet. Let's connect on what the truck beforehand so we can kind of get an idea of what you're up to. How are you doing today, KJ? I'm doing fantastic. How are you, Mr. Dunner? You know, it is, uh, it's Jet's birthday coming up on the 8th. I, I don't know. Should we, should we sing happy birthday to him? Well, I think he's going to take it easy this year. He's got a second son now. Uh, can't do the big blowout like last year in Cabo with uh, with Nelly. So, no, no, it'll be a good time. It'll be a good time this year, though. Um, I, I was talking to him the other day. Uh, I'll miss him at F three. I wish he was he was coming down. But yeah. Mateo and Jet, I saw them down in Jacksonville uh, a couple months ago. They, uh, it was a good time. But how about you? So you're coming down to Chattanooga. You're coming down to F three. What are you going to be telling people on the floor? What are you going to be shaking hands and saying? I'm just excited to be back. You know, I had a two-year run at Project 44, tremendous amount of highs. There's some lows. I uh, met a ton of great people over there, uh, participating in enterprise SaaS B2B around the world. And just excited to kind of announce that I'm back in freight and logistics here domestically. And uh, you see some old friends. And uh, really, it's just a, a great event out there in Chattanooga that you and Craig and the team put on. KJ, what is going on in recruiting and the employment market? Because, you know, we keep talking about this down market. It wasn't that long ago that we were talking about the great resignation. It wasn't that long ago. You go to LinkedIn and every day you'd see all these people, you know, who were just switching jobs. They were going left and right. New thing, got this better opportunity. And now we just hear about, you know, 10,000 layoffs at Maersk, layoffs over here, layoffs over there. And it's a bad scene. It gives the impression that there's not opportunity, but I, I'm sure that there probably still is out there. What's the market like? There is some opportunity out there. And I saw your post today on Twitter about the 10,000 10, layoffs at Maersk. You saw the CH Robbins is down 60% year over year. So there's a lot of doom and gloom out there. I think there's still some great companies hiring. I think that if we look at our market here domestically, you see a lot of freight brokerages looking to add sales reps 
Yeah, a lot of companies are looking to add people in their accounting and, and upgrading their finance department. I think that uh, there's some great people out there. I even saw Matt Silver posting to, to expand his network and see how he could get people's jobs. So I think there's a community out there that's going to help people. And uh, there's still companies hard charging and uh, making improvements, upgrades, and, and there's companies growing still. So it's not all doom and gloom. You know, a big um, storyline during the pandemic run up when there was so much freight wasn't that people were hiring salespeople, it was that people were hiring operations and customer service people to handle all that freight. Has that changed? Is it back to sales being sort of the number one driver because these companies need to make money and they're looking for those gems who can pull it out of this market? From the freight brokerage domestic, that's what I'm seeing. They're looking for sales reps. You know, a lot of people are looking for transferable books of business. I see franchising go up, agent programs go up in markets like this. Um, I think also opportunistically, if you can upgrade somebody in your operations team, this is an opportunity for you to, to upgrade your talent. And so there's companies still hiring. And, and I think that uh, to your point, though, I think there's a lot of companies looking for sales reps to boost up their top line revenue. A lot of companies in a tough spot because there was so much hiring that went on during the pandemic. And we know like some hires are good. Not everybody works out within a company, right? But how do you build winning teams, especially leadership? How do you build and retain winning teams when there's so much cost pressure to be cutting budget? How do you make sure you don't get the people who really need to be there out of the house? How do you make sure they stick around? Yeah, I think that uh, you got to spend a lot of time with them. I think that uh, when you hire somebody, you're trying to hire somebody that's smarter than you. I think that's a little bit of a cliche, but I find it completely to be true. Uh, I think the leadership team uh, needs to be hard chargers, but they need to have empathy. And, uh, you know, even at Project 44, uh, you know, the last year I was spent working with the COO and President Vivek on upgrading the executive talent across the board. Who are we bringing in that's going to retain the talent when they take over teams? Who's going to bring a team with them? So I think that the best thing the leadership do really is to have empathy, listen to their teammates um, and, you know, help them grow their careers. How do you upsize, though, like in a market like this? How do you how do you build the team out? How do you build the team out? I mean, I think that if uh, if you have the ability to grow your team, you do. I think some companies are stagnant right now. Some companies are still going to be looking at layoffs here in the next two quarters. So as far as, you know, building your team, uh, it's if you still have the capability to do so, there's fantastic talent out there right now. If you're one of those, I've been in sales, right? And you look at your pipeline and, there, you know, there's something you tell your sales manager and there's something you tell yourself. You tell yourself the, the reality, unless you're lying to yourself. And a, and a lot of sales reps in a down market, they know. They, they know they're not going to make plan. They know that they're in trouble. What should they be doing right? Or maybe they're in an environment that's sort of toxic or it seems like the, you know, the, the, the sound of layoffs are ringing. What should, those, what should those people be doing? Well, I think if it's toxic or they're, they're nervous that it's going to go down, they should call talent solvers. Uh, we'll help you find some new gigs out there. Uh, I think, though, that um, we, we had a, a client recently where they brought a, somebody on, on uh, to shadow and uh, they were listening to sales reps about how bad the company was going. And so, you know, that's that's not something I would have done is uh, bring them on. I think that uh, it's yeah, I mean, right. Uh, that was just wild. So, uh, you know, that person didn't take the job. Uh, so hope that answers your question. I mean, freight can be like that. I remember when I started at my first job in freight, FedEx Trade Network, someone like two or three people were like, why the hell did you take this job? Why are you, why are you in here? I'm like, I, I, I don't know. So I can learn and grow. That's like actually what I decided. I'm like, I can't stay in this one department. I, don't, I can't be an entry writer forever because like these people at the time I was 25, these, there's people like 45, 50 years old. So writing entries. And I'm like, I don't want to be with this attitude yelling at new people who walk in the door. Like, why are you here? I want to be growing and, and being happy 
in my career. When do you know it's the right time to make that? Maybe you are happy, right? Maybe you're happy, but you also realize there's a ceiling, right? You're, you're kind of limited by your position. How do you make the, how do you make that brave move to move forward? Yeah, I think that, you know, you got to be curious. And, uh, you know, the reality is, is once you've decided that a place isn't right for you, you got to lean into your network. You got to lean into all the people you've worked with before, uh, companies you've admired. Um, you know, I would go to F3 and network, honestly, places like that or TIA domestically here in the U.S. for jobs. So I think that it's something you really got to lean into your network. And I would start doing it before, you know, that you have layoffs. If you're nervous, you know, talk to a recruiter, see what's going on out there. We have our you know, ear to the ground and uh, use us as a resource. What is your networking tip or strategy for an event like F3? It's kind of a similar question to what I asked Jay. How do you make sure you get some ROI out of this? How do you make sure you get some partnerships so you get you make some people aware of, of KJ and talent solvers? Yeah, I think that uh, there's the confidence. You're trying to pay attention and learn and understand what all the other people are doing in the, you know, uh, here, uh, all the new platforms that are out there, like OneRail and Bill and Jay, what they're doing over there. I think though it's a lot of liquid conversations. You can catch somebody over a coffee or a lunch or, you know, at one of the events with JB Hunt and Lean Solutions. I think that's what you're looking to do is uh, kind of get them a little more relaxed and try to have a, a natural conversation with them. Wow. Well, KJ, people want to have a natural conversation with you at F3, offline, online, right now, tomorrow. How do I send them? Where do I send them to? KJ at Town Solvers. KG, thank you so much. I can't wait to see you in a couple of days down here in the scenic city of Chattanooga. What are you looking forward to the most? Is there one event or one thing going on that uh, that you're like, I gotta? I haven't seen TI in person. TI is popular. We're all gonna be there living our life. Hey. Awesome. Hey, thank you for having me on the show. Thank you so much, KJ. Thanks for stopping by. All right, everybody. Right, it's Friday. Before I send you home, let's do a little good news, bad news. Jet, I'll sing happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, Jet McCandless. Happy birthday to you. All right, let's see. Let's not park on this street. Let's take a look at this video here. Your window is totally different. It's public property. So if you want to take this to a lawyer, then by all means, I don't care. Go take it to a lawyer, okay? No crime. This lady is upset get out of here. Go that a resident pub. parked you on car, you get your his own street. Can stop this I thing. need his phone number because I am going to talk to him. I will give you my phone number. There you go. If he wants to give your phone number, then he can't. If he doesn't, he doesn't. And I really don't want to, but I'll give it to you for the sake of, look, we live in the same place. If we can't have good energy here, that's a bad thing. I don't know you from Adam. You just bought her from Massachusetts or wherever you're from, Maryland. Hey. You, I've lived here 15 years okay. you're a newbie here. i just yeah i moved here a few <laughs> months ago <laughs> we i need your phone number being the newbie has nothing to do with this so you don't need a judgment i need that. i need a phone number so if i can he wants to give you your phone number he can't yeah he doesn't then he doesn't what is it so i can tomorrow one 800 up your butt oh oh he banged her with that one one 800 up your butt he just nailed her down so what happened there was they live on some residential street this lady, she probably always parks in her front of her house in the same exact spot. This new guy moves into town. She accused him of being a mass hole. I don't think that guy was from Massachusetts. It sure didn't sound like he was from Massachusetts. I think he's from Maryland. Uh, he parks there, and she called the police to have him move his car. Uh, the cop wasn't having it. In fact, the cop was quite annoyed, and, of course, he gave her uh, the phone number to the complaint line. Here's some really, I don't know anything good news about this. This is just all bad news. Look at the pizza inflation that's going on over here. Like, 
Andy Flaherty put this up. He said, I'm thrilled to announce the latest print of my proprietary Casey's Pizza Inflation Index since 2021. I'm reporting to you on the theft of delicious gas station pizza purchasing power that was a result of inflation debasing your dollars. In 2020, it was $2.50 for a pizza. 2021, $2.69. 2022, $2.99. 2023, $3.53. That's a year-over-year change of 18.06%. And when they always talk about this inflation, how's the economy doing? Inflation's doing like great. We're slowing it down. Look at the compound nature of the inflation. I don't need your inflation report. I need this pizza report because that's the receipt I see when I go to Publix. That's the receipt I see. And that's what weighs on me. And that's what weighs on all the families out there. That's all I got to say about that. This could have used some straps. Look at it right here. Look at this. There's an autonomous vehicle for you. Up on his way. Controller. Upset at his own invention. See y'all at F3 with no show on Monday. We'll be there on Tuesday and Wednesday, isn't it? Seventh, eighth, ninth. Yeah. Ninth, I have a stage show thing. Hey, find me on Twitter at Timothy Dooner. What else can you do? Find the show, FW What the Truck. Look it up wherever you get your podcasts on YouTube. We're on audio. Take care. Don't be a stranger. Have a nice weekend.